everyone, and welcome. This is episode 261 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. We are back after kind of taking a, a week off, kind of getting a little bit more sporadic as the offseason gets underway and and kind of waiting for the news to come out. And, and there was some news in the past week or so in Brewers land that we'll cover here. And we have a, a good special guest to help cover us uh, on that stuff. We've got Ryan here, but stepping in for Paul, we actually have Kurt Hogue from the Journal Sentinel and the uh, Microbrews podcast. So, Kurt, thank you for stepping in and, and helping us out this week. Yeah, I mean, I've been on in the past, a couple of years back, uh, different role. When I, the, the, uh, one of us meme. Uh, <laughs> uh, now that I'm a, a professional in, techni- in technical terms, I guess. But uh, no, good to be back. I'll, I'll try to do my best Paul impressions. Sure, so, sure. Just butcher every name and yeah, so um, get lines, lost in yeah. your tabs, and yeah. you'll be good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it'll be good to have you too. It's nice to have somebody who actually knows uh, what they're talking about when it comes to the Brewers. On so <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get into some of the stuff that you've actually written too. But uh, before we get into that, and a lot of questions this week, mm-hmm. we'd like to help. Uh, remind you to help support us you can go to patreon.com slash mkte tailgate for as little as two bucks a month that gets you question priority on all of the podcasts on the network including the next episode as of reporting as eligible and we're starting this just after the packers screwed up again but they screwed up by winning so um i'm sure there's going to be some talk about that over at reporting as eligible but hey christian watson learned how to catch a couple of times so that's good uh while we're on the topic of the extra content, five bucks a month gets you question priority plus the exclusive minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Road to Wire, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods as well. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done this in that time. Uh, some Brewers transactions. We'll get to those with the option decisions. But first, since Kurt's here as our special guest, I kind of wanted to start off with a uh, pretty important piece that you wrote Kurt for the journal Sentinel and um, kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this and, and Ryan did too because he wrote these questions as well so <laughs> uh, before we get to those offseason decisions uh, you know you wrote Kurt about the Brewers uh, spending or I guess lack thereof and so I guess just for those who haven't read it it, it you know ran a few days ago now and, and people can go look it up but I guess let's just start with uh, what's the Brewers' current spending situation as we kind of head into the offseason here. Uh, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, the way you would look at it now, I think they're, if you kind of piece together the arbitration figures that you would expect them to extend, including Hunter Renfro, who's, I guess, one of the possibilities that they could, whether it's non tender him or trade him, probably sitting around like, 120 or so million mm-hmm. uh, in, in that ballpark right now, maybe 125 uh, with some of the 40 man guys as well. And there should, there should be room to spend that within, you know, as they like to call it their budget. Uh, the Brewers had, did have a record payroll. And this is kind of what I wrote about a little bit. It was a record payroll last year, but if you compare it relative to how the rest of the league is spending it, it's, it's less than they have been doing historically. And we it's, it, we don't exactly know, you know, if some of that historical previous spending was unsustainable. Um, I would argue it's it is probably is sustainable. They did it for like five six years. Um, not to mention baseball teams are just profitable in general. Um, so you kind of and, and this is kind of what 
sparked the story in my head was a discussion with Eric Lauer, who, as we all know, likes to talk, is not afraid to yeah. say whatever he thinks. Not afraid. Uh, and he he brought this all up on his own. Like this was this was all his doing. And and I think pretty much the the, the McCalvey piece was the same way too. It was just like Eric Lauer started talking. Uh, with <laughs> so that's really interesting. Yeah. So so. Uh, he was just talking about, you know, looking around the room and they see these guys that are here and they're going to get more expensive. And like, you know how baseball teams are, the, the roster is going to look different next year. And so why not, why not go for it relatively now, you know, push the chips in the middle a little bit. Uh, and the easiest way to do that, I think is, is to increase your spending um, without fully mortgaging the future. Now it's easy to spend other people's money, especially in this case, baseball owners. I think, I think in general, fans and baseball people tend to see like it as a one-stop shop like an immediate like a magic bullet immediate cure and it's not always that like you have to spend wisely but i do think the Bruce front office is capable of spending wisely uh if they just have the means to do so yeah looking at what their overall payroll was last year they opened the year like you said with the the record it sort of depends on which site you look at but around 132 million 132 133 million last year and that was 19th in baseball and i always have trouble with this trying to figure out what sort of makes sense because they are in depending on how you look at it one of the smallest markets of baseball if you look at it one way it's like the smallest if you look at it another way it's like the third smallest but it's one of the smallest markets in baseball and so I look at 19 and I go, well, they probably could spend more because really every team in baseball could spend more, but also relative to where they, they fit in like the baseball ecosystem, what they're doing isn't completely unreasonable when you compare them to their peers. They're just, you know, probably a, a little bit short of what we would say is like ideal. Um, but not if everybody because every team in baseball could spend a lot more than what they are and still maintain profitability. We know looking at what the the Braves numbers, I don't know if you guys saw that came out in the last week or two. And they're making money hand over fist. And granted, yes, this was their year as defending World Series champs, but even so, they're they're just raking in the money and making a massive profit off of their baseball operations. And the Brewers have to be doing very well as well. So I, this is a, just a point that I always struggle on is what is actually reasonable to spend. And I don't have a good answer for it just because everybody seems to be spending, almost everybody seems to be spending well below what their capability is in terms of still being profitable. So I just kind of throw my hands up on that and I'm like, oh, I don't know what is reasonable. Sure. And, you know, remember, we're coming off of a lockout. It seems like an age ago, you know, like ages ago, but it, it, it's easy for me at least to forget that, hey, this season, season even started late because of a lockout. And so obviously the players are are very aware of what the owners are making and what they could afford to spend. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Kurt, you mentioned Eric Lauer being one of the more outspoken ones and apparently just volunteering his thoughts and not even you having to ask the question but i guess what do the players think of i guess the payroll situation and you, you know you mentioned too and a lot of other people writing about this too mentioned that you know when it comes to the players not nothing's guaranteed right so they're they're kind of all in all the time right yeah that's exactly it they're all in all the time uh lauer and i wrote this as well lauer is the most likely and kind of the only one so far to really publicly voice a ton of displeasure. But I, I can tell you for sure that there's other guys that I've talked to that are 
confused, I guess is maybe the best way to put it. I mean, I think we were all confused to a degree with the handlings at the trade deadline. Um, even if you look at it through like the most rational, sensible lens, there's still some confusion there. Um, so for those guys, I think there's there's even more added confusion. A lot of it, though, like a lot, baseball players are legitimately just like every day is Groundhog Day. They like they are legitimately <laughs> tunnel focused, and they don't think too much about front office things or otherwise. But so I guess that even makes it more interesting that like they've taken a notice to like the happenings. But but I will say I think there's a lot of trust in Matt Arnold for whatever that's worth within the clubhouse. Multiple guys that I talked to uh, after they they hired him um, just relayed that he's he's good at making connections within the club within the clubhouse. Which um, I'm not. I'm, I don't know if it was a comment necessarily on like on David Stearns um, in, in, the, in those, but it's certainly a comment on, on Matt Arnold being able to like form those relationships and communicate well, which is something that maybe I didn't realize was like an important part of the job up until up until honestly up until the Hater trade when they made it in, in in Pittsburgh. Stearns wasn't there, and it was it was glaring that no one from the front office, well, not no one from the front office, but no none of the higher high ups were there. Huh, I didn't realize that. That really so Stearns wasn't there. Arnold wasn't there either in Pittsburgh no, when mean, that happened. The, the main the main people from the brass. I think this is fairly standard across baseball, from what I understand. Is like if you're on the road, the highest of the high ups are all one. They all want to be together. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but in this instance, I think it would have made sense. I think because that first game of the series was actually started a little bit after the deadline. It would have made sense to hop on a plane, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, neither here nor there. Yeah, especially when, you know, his his reaction after that trade was, well, my door is always open. You can always talk to me. You know, it's hard when you're halfway across the country to kind of take somebody up on that. So. Yeah, the, the, the onus there needs to be, on, I think, on the on the present baseball operation at the front office to come to the players and not wait till they get swept in Pittsburgh and then you know, <laughs> home for a series against the Reds. Right. Right. Especially when it's somebody who was as well liked as Josh Hader. And I know you've mentioned too, uh, Corbin Burns, very good friends with Josh Hader too, and how that might play into the future negotiations or lack thereof there too. So um, I, I guess, you know, going forward, what do you think the Brewers need to do spending wise or, or contract wise too? I, I know Ryan takes a lot of flack for it on Twitter, <laughs> but I do think there's a lot of truth to what he's saying. Like, it's so easy to, like I said, just throw other people's money around, but they're not in a position to spend, throw, you know, five-year contracts that don't make a ton of sense around. But um, there ha- there certainly need to, like, be more less, less risk aversion. I think I'm, yeah, it's either less risk aversion or more risk aversion. I think they need to be less risk averse. Is that, that's, yeah, that's take more yeah, chances. Yeah, take more chances. Really, yeah. like, yes make a mistake on year two of Jose Abreu or something, paying him like 20 million or something. But like, but then you look at the other side of it is if you're paying Jose Abreu 20 million next year and he's bad, that really hampers you. So like it, it, it legitimately is a difficult spot to be in um, and we're wanting to make the right deals, but they do need to spend more. Yeah. I mentioned this on Twitter and I think I, I, don't know that I hit exactly the right note with it. Let me try to do it here. I'm not sure that just spending more and having a, a higher payroll is enough to win over fans at this point because 
I look at it like this. They ran a, a, a record payroll last year and hardly anybody knew it. Like all you heard was people talking about how cheap Mark was and all of this. And it, people didn't respond to the fact that they were running a record payroll last year, even though they were. And that was because the moves that they were making were not flashy. The moves that they were making weren't causing a splash. They weren't causing a stir. They weren't the kind of thing that, that, you know, caused a big headline at the JS or something. You know, they were, they were stuff that ended up on, you know, maybe the bottom flap of the sports page or something. They weren't things that ended up, you know, on the, on the top of the, the paper. Right. So they were, they were not headline generating moves. And I think that until they do that, they probably don't get like the fan goodwill for, oh, okay, they're spending now. And I don't know that there's a move like that that makes sense this year. I'm, I, there might be. Uh, I wonder how much, like, we have questions coming up about this, but like somebody like Josh Bell maybe moves the needle. People are somewhat familiar with him because he was in the division. And so I think there's some familiarity there. I just don't know if even that, like, if they sign Josh Bell, does that get people to say, oh, yeah, they're spending now? I, I just I'm no. yeah I'm I'm maybe a little bit but probably I, I not think, a lot. I think the reaction that that reaction is based in the well in addition to just like that's just a natural fan thing to just be mad about spending <laughs> like <laughs> yes it's right. just it's just you're just born into it. Um, but I I think there's a couple reasons that like exacerbated it and it was one it was they just they did not spend it all in free agency and I don't think they needed to spend a ton uh, but they were like. They like fourth, third or fourth fewest money for free agents committed to next year, mm-hmm. uh, so twenty twenty two in that case. And and the the guy they did sign, who was theoretically their splash, was in in it was a, a not a not not a good idea to make Andrew McCutcheon <laughs> the full time DH and be the only guy you pay, and then right. trading away Hater in what can be conceived as something of a salary dump, which I think they were going to have to get rid of him for salary reasons uh, and value of his position this year. So those things definitely didn't help. But yeah, we'll get to the Josh Bell thing. Yeah. yeah. And the thing, too, is when you bring that up, um, like the uh, what I've heard from people, too, is not it wasn't just the Andrew McCutcheon signing that made people mad. Like the Kutch signing was fine in and of itself, whatever. But the fact that Mark made a big deal out of it and was like, we went way over budget for this and that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and and caused a lot of uh a lot of snarkiness on Twitter both at the time and afterwards about that that move. And so I don't know, I Mark maybe thinks, well he's a, a former MVP, he was in the division. We've seen him a lot. Like he I think thought that move was a bigger deal than probably most fans did, especially maybe younger fans who, you know, didn't grow up with Andrew McCutcheon, like the MVP in you know 2012, 2013, whatever. So that one was more of like a, a PR snafu than anything else. Like the move itself wasn't the problem. It was kind of how you talked about the move that caused the stir there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, as you mentioned, we got a lot of questions and some news to get to. So I guess with that budget in mind, the first big offseason decisions have been made. And uh, this actually came up in the middle of Kurt and JR recording <laughs> the microbrews. Uh, but the Brewers picked up Colton Wong's $10 million option. Somewhat of a surprise, maybe, but also maybe not. If you listen to their episode talking about the free agent market at second base. And uh, I think we've kind of touched on it, too, in the past, Ryan. But mm-hmm. I think the big surprise is declining Brad Boxberger's $3 million option. At least I was surprised. 
Uh, Kurt, let's start with you, because like, you know, that doesn't seem like a ton of money considering the amount of innings that he's had to cover. It's a very valuable role he's played in the bullpen, just covering that amount of innings. And then you see some of the relief contracts getting handed out already in free agency, and it seems like he'd be worth three million. But I guess what's what's your stance on that? Yeah, so I was I was surprised, but I think the thing that I guess I'm not so much surprised by the Brewers' decision. If this makes sense, I'm more surprised that there was not a market for him. They put him on waivers, and I would you'd think that someone that three million dollars for a guy who's been you know consistent 60, 70 innings, pitched the back of the bullpen, like that'd be an easy decision um, for somebody or like the Rockies or someone that just like fling money around <laughs> at random objects, right. like Jose Urania would do it. Right. Um, but so, so that that was the surprise for me. Yeah, I agree. I think I one thing I really valued about him is that you could pitch him on back to back days. No problem. You could pitch him. He really could throw kind of a lot. He was up among the league leaders with 70 games pitched last year. So there is a value in that, especially the way the Brewers do things to have that flexibility. And yeah, over these these last couple of years, his ERA for the, the two years is, I believe, under three. Like yeah. he's preventing runs at a, a fine rate. I know there people have pointed out that there have been some issues with his stat cast like that has come up and I've seen people mentioning that I haven't dug too deep into that because once he was like, I was just kind of like, OK, fine, whatever. But <laughs> people people have brought that up too that there's some warning signs. And yeah, he's a he's a reliever in his mid 30s sure. and he's going to be 35 next year. And the. Some of the numbers are not particularly great. So, you know, he walks too many guys. He's not getting a ton of whiffs. He's not getting chases. Fastball velocity is below average. All of these things are below average. But he does seem to do a good job of getting guys to avoid missing the, the middle of the bat and, like, average exit velocities in the 90th percentile. So, like, that is, we think, somewhat of a repeatable skill, and he seems to be pretty decent at it. So... I'm not sure. And I, I believe that also like he has a, a very high fastball spin rate. So that's helpful, mm -hmm. but it probably doesn't matter. And I think the the big indicator Kurt mentioned here is that the fact that he made it through waivers means the league didn't think that that option was something they just wanted to run right out and snatch up and, and sure. give to him. So I think we kind of have to almost just sort of take the wisdom of crowds on this and say, OK, well, the league has kind of spoken on that. So I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see sure. him come back. Yeah, no, not at all. Another minor league contract with a major league invite. He'll be back up. I think, yeah, I was surprised in the sense that, you know, the Brewers are going to have to reshape their bullpen significantly, as we talked about kind of in previous weeks, too. And he was one of the more reliable pieces. You could throw him anywhere between the sixth and the ninth inning and feel okay about it, right? But mm -hmm. um, also... The Brewers have a ton of guys throwing really hard in the minors that they could come up and, and do just as well. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, on the topic of well, – sorry, sorry, James. Two, two quick things to – maybe three three quick, very quick things to put a bow on, <laughs> on the box border uh, stuff. One, I think the statement from Matt Arnold that uh, he, he put out to the media was kind of telling. Like he specifically mentioned that Brad and his agent have been good to work with and like they can explore avenues. So the Brewers – like, I don't think it's lip service. Like, they wouldn't say that, probably. Sure. Like, if they didn't mm -hmm. want to make, like, put something out there that Boxberger and his agent would see and be like, okay, goodwill. Um, second thing, I think the unspoken thing here that the Brewers may be telling us is that 
they value Peter Strzelecki a lot, and they yeah. think there's a legit like late, late game bullpen on there. And I'm inclined to agree, I think, uh, with them on that. And then third, I will just miss Brad Boxberger having the same expression at all times. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. Like in the clubhouse before, like the dude is just the same. And on the mound, you couldn't tell if he had just walked the bases loaded or struck out the side. The same expression the entire time. Yeah, except that one time when he really, and that's why it was so surprising. You're like, whoa, emotion for Brad Boxberger? What uh, sorcery is this? Like, what is happening? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we'll see if he's back in some capacity. But uh, really quick, going back to Colton Wong's option. Kurt, now that you had a couple of days to chew on this and think about it, uh, our first Patreon question comes from Jay Google, who's asking, why are people so down on the Brewers picking up Wong's option? Feels like with what was out there, this is a good deal. Um, I know you and JR Kurt had been talking about this a little bit, but how do you feel now? That is a great question. For like the last month of the year, I was like, why is everyone so down on Colton Wong's season? Like defensively, it was bad. Uh but like offensively, he's been so good with the Brewers for the last two years. Like, if you, unless your reasoning is he's going to turn what 32, 33, and I don't think you know he's going to put together three career offensive years in, in a row at that age, like I can get that. But it just seems like people were down on it. And I don't know the answer to that. But uh, so I think when you look at like not wanting to give Bryce Terang the everyday job right now, uh, committing to him on a team that wants to make the playoffs and win the World Series, it makes a lot of sense. To go with Wong, and then you look at the second base market and also the third base market, because if you're, you know, you could move Urias to second, basically, and then you have a hole at third. It's not great. Like, Brandon Drury is the right. guy. And if you want to talk about possibly unsustainable performances, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon Drury is just as much of a candidate as Colton Wong, probably more. Yeah, I've mentioned it on this pod a lot, but like, we now have two straight years of Colton Wong putting up 2.5 fan graphs were exactly. And the shape of it was different. It was the defense. The offense was better this year, but the defense was also worse. Whereas last year, it was a little bit more steady Eddie. But if you're talking about a guy like that, and it's an $8 million decision. Remember, they had a $2 million buyout. So this was not about $10 million. This was about $8 million because they were already right. owing him that, that $2 million regardless. And I mean, when you're talking about trying to do better than Colton Wong and his 2.5 war, on the open market for $8 million, you're just not going to do that. It, it's You will not find deals like that. You're going to have to find somebody and hope that they break out is the only way that you, you get more value than that because paying for that kind of uh, that kind of war on the open market, it just it goes for more than this. It just it does. Yeah, some people were saying, you know, I want to save the money and spend it elsewhere. It's like eight mils not going to get you a ton. No. Yeah. On this market, unless you're, you know, investing it all into a big deal but even then it's it's marginal yeah yeah all right um i guess moving ahead or looking ahead this coming friday is the deadline for teams to tender contracts to rb eligible players uh we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago the brewers have a ton of these 18 arbitration uh eligible players which seems like an absurd amount all at once um so i guess let's just go through and protect predict who gets a tender and who doesn't uh ryan i know we kind of talked about this so kurt let's start with you starting pitchers we obviously have corbin burns and brandon woodruff i feel like they're pretty safe you know i'm gonna hazard a guess there eric lauer and adrian hauser also arbitration eligible so i guess of that group any but any possible non-tenders do you see there or do you think they all bring 
at least I, offer them. I mean, Hauser's the 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 name there that like I think they bring they want to bring him back in some capacity for starting pitching depth. Yeah, but uh, I'm not sure what his what his price tag would be like. What three mil maybe this year? MLB trade rumors has him at three point six. Okay, that's pushing maybe a little north of what they're probably comfortable with. Um, but I I would have a tough time seeing them let him go. But if it, I, I could see it happening um, because I don't think anyone's going to pay. Is anyone going to pay him four mil basically on the open market? Yeah, it's a tough know. one, right? Like, and also because he has two years of control left. So if you gave him a deal this year, you could potentially get him for his arbitration value next year if he has a year that you like and, and it goes well. Paul was skeptical of it because he's so defense dependent and the defense yeah. for the Brewers at this point is somewhat shaky. It's it's at least questionable, whereas it had been very, very good before. So, yeah, that's it's a tough one. I think they do ultimately tender them all, like we talked about last time. But, yeah, Hauser's the one that you really do wonder about. I do. I yeah. do. I will say the coaching staff, uh, I think, believes in Adrian Hauser. I don't know what the front office thinks. Yeah. Sure. Well, the players seem to respect his stuff, too. They all uh, mentioned his. Oh, that's right. His, his sinker. sinker was the pick in the athletic whose pitch could you steal contest, which was yep. mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. No one swings and misses at. OK. <laughs> <laughs> it just throws it really hard. I don't know. I, I guess for. Yeah. Three eight. We've talked about is a little high, but maybe they offer him a little less than that and say, sign this or you're non tendered and, and see what happens there. Uh, but I I really would hate to see them give up on that, knowing their starting pitching depth was an issue this past year. And it's going to be an issue next year unless they get real active real quick. So um, I, I guess we could see them bringing all of them back. All right. Relief pitchers. We got Devin Williams, Matt Bush, Brent Suter, Trevor Gott, Hobie Milner, Yandel Gustave and Luis Perdomo all up for arbitration. This seems like a good area, uh, Kurt, if they were going to cut some salary and, and cut some RB guys loose, this would be the area to do it. So I guess of the bullpen, who do you see maybe getting non-tendered? Who do you see being kept? Ooh, this is gonna this is gonna hurt to say, but Brent Suter. Yeah, yeah, I, that I was do, one we I, were on. Yeah, I do think my argument is like it's because what's he probably like four, three, four mil, three point one is what MLB trade rumors has. Which I I don't think anyone's paying Brent Suter three million on the open market. So if they treat it like they did Boxberger, that's not a good sign for him. But I do think um, I also think Suter knows this and might take a a lesser deal. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that I, that's not the guy to cheap out with. I think there's like it, his spot is he's, he's been a good pitcher. Uh, he fills a variety of roles and like, I just don't think you should cut Brent's I, the message you send. If you cut Brent Suter, who was basically like trying to rally the team for the entire last month of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you can lose him as a clubhouse guy. It just sends a bad message. Yeah, that was kind of where we went with it too. Was like it's a tough one. It's a tough pill to swallow from a uh, from a performance standpoint at three point one million. But he does mean so much in the clubhouse. You can tell that just from the outside, and yeah. like you being on the inside, you know more than anybody that like that is just a presence you don't want to lose, especially at this kind of important crossroads time for them coming off of the season they did last year and with the change at the top. It would just be, yeah, I, I feel like it would probably send a pretty bad message to the team that mm -hmm. you don't want to do that. I don't know. I, 
I feel like Gustave and Perdomo probably don't get brought back. Uh, it's it's hard to say. I, um, obviously, they're bringing back Williams. I think Bush, Gott, and Milner do all come back, and they have some they have some flexibility because beyond what you mentioned with Strzelecki, which I think that's for sure a thing. There's also Justin Topa and and uh, I was going to say Kirk Cousins, but it's uh, Jake Cousins. <laughs> Jake Cousins, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those two guys as well, who also still have minor league options, so they don't even have to be on the big league roster, they can be bounced up and down if need be. So maybe they, they say we don't need to get quite this expensive and they, they let more of these guys go than we're thinking because they have other options to be able to work with. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but the price of relief pitching, James, you alluded to it. It is wacky season out there right now. Like first off you have Edwin Diaz getting a hundred million dollars, which, okay, he's one of the best closers in the game. And, was really important for the yeah. Mets. And that's, you know, fine, whatever. You're paying like a Mets premium, you're paying whatever, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But this thing with uh, Suarez in San Diego getting a five year yeah. deal, what the hell was that? <laughs> like that just, I saw it and I'm like, what is, what the, what is AJ Preller doing? That's what we call Josh Hader insurance. I guess when he gets a hundred million dollars. I'm looking forward to seeing the Padres in like four years, what they look like. Oh, it's going to be just a, an absolute. They're going to have nightmare. to get creative. Yeah. All right. Um, before we move on to the others, on the topic of Brent Suter, worth mentioning that in 2020, he avoided arbitration with a two-year deal, uh, kind of settling, I think, a little bit below what he was asking for. So he's done it before. He's been super grateful just to uh, stick around. you know. And, and Kurt, I think you're absolutely right that this is not the time to screw around with cutting loose clubhouse guys either. So um, you know, it, if it's a one-year deal, it'll be fine. Um, Going to offense, Victor Caratini at catcher. Um, Ian, I, I see your face kind of squinting right now, Kurt. But also, you know, Omar Narvaez is a free agent. So I guess the question here is, do you just start from scratch at catcher? Do you bring Vic back? Um, he kind of wilted a little bit under the everyday role, right? So yeah, that he, definitely, the factor? he definitely did. I, I, I legitimately don't know. I've tried to like spin zone all their catcher acquisitions in a couple ways, you know, like they could have gotten 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 rid of Alex Jackson they didn't have to trade for Peyton Henry so the 40 man back up to four catchers so it's like at first I was like okay this means that they're cutting Caratini so they have some catcher depth and I was like no I think it means they're keeping Caratini so I don't know I don't I think I don't think he can be your everyday guy though but like the pitching staff seems to like working with him um he's a hard worker I uh, just I, th- I think the bat might be able to hold up better over a shorter amount of time. So we'll see. Yeah. If they do bring him back, it's just to maintain stability. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It's just to be, to be having some sort of continuity going forward because he did seem to do well with the pitchers. So, yeah. And he held up fine defensively. Um, so I, I wouldn't be opposed to him as the, the main backup option. You at least know what you got with him. All right. Elsewhere in the infield, we've got Willie Adamas, Luis Urias, Rowdy Telez, Keston Hira, and Mike Brasso. Uh, Adamas seems like an obvious yes. Same with Urias. Uh, but I think the back three kind of gets a little interesting. Rowdy did have the big power year, but the Brewers have shown a willingness to kind of move on from mm-hmm. uh, big power years at first base if if the price isn't quite right. And, you know, Keston Hira has gone through a lot the last few years and, and, you know, may not have a place going forward. So I guess, Kurt, any of those names strike you as possible non-tender candidates? 
Yeah, Rowdy does, um, but I think it depends on what their thought is at first base in the first base market. There's some options there. Uh, we think we can talk about Josh Bell, like we said later. We've talked about Jose Abreu, so I think there's probably some other guys too. Um, and I don't think they, I don't think they do it with Rowdy, but uh, it's it's possible. It's possible. It's also possible they sign him and then you know work out a deal for him at some point in the winter. Yeah, if you're going to go that direction, I think there's a very good chance that happens with Keston Hira. I think they showed last year how reluctant they were to get him in the lineup and how even when like he was almost forcing their hand by hitting dingers, they were still reluctant to really run him out there because the strikeout rate was still so high. And I just don't think they trusted to have him out there that much. And I think at a certain point, like he was a very good soldier for them and really, uh, I don't know if it was you at the JS or if it was somebody else talking about how he really, really handled all this well. Some guys would sulk in the position he was in last year where he was he was putting up numbers. He was producing and was not getting playing time at the big league level the way that you would kind of assume you would if you were doing that. And so he's been a good soldier, and I think it's probably time to just sort of go the Gene Segura route with him where it's like, okay, we've given this a run. It's time for you to, to go someplace else and see if you can like crystallize a career and, and get yourself back on track that way. And that sucks. But I, I think it is probably the best route for him. And I definitely think 2 million is reasonable. So you can tender him and then trade him. But sure. I, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's a very excellent chance. He is not in spring training with them next year. It is sure. a weird roster fit. We saw it on display countless times. Yep. Last year. Yeah. And, okay. and to your point, Ryan, oh, sorry, to, to no. again put a bow on, on here, I think like the the non-tenor potential there is like I think well, the how do I put this the a lot of the times the lack of playing time for him was a top down decision. Um and and he he, he to, your, to your point he handled it really well, um, so I guess that could indicate what you know sort of what they, they showed us what they think about him really. But uh, it just feels like there's he's still one of those bats with a ceiling. But we'll see. Yeah, that's really interesting too. All right, I guess on the topic of possible sign and trade, so to speak, Hunter Renfro. You know, this is one we've kind of talked around a little bit too. Obviously, one of the more important offensive players for the brewers in the last year uh what is the projection like 12 million or something like that ryan uh yes right around there hold yeah. on i yeah the number in to be precise is 11.2 11.2 so you know seems fair given the amount of production that you get but given budgets and roster fits and the glutton of outfielders waiting in triple a kurt i guess how do you see this situation playing out I don't think it's a there I don't think it's wise to get rid of your best hitter the last <laughs> year but I also think it's not wise to say he's going to be your best hitter going forward. Sure. So I know people talk about like getting something for him in a trade but I don't think you're going to get a lot for him. I mean last year two years of him netted the bad contract of JBJ and Alex Benellis who's like the definition of kind of like a mid-level prospect. Sure. So he's at, at Renfro had a better year, but I just don't know what all you're gonna get. Um, and and if they're if they're you know they kind of tip their hand with their, what they think of like playing Terang every day, I don't think they're gonna be in a spot where they want to play Weimer every day right off the bat. So 
I do think Hunter Renfro's back, but that means I'm going to be wrong. Because <laughs> I'm wrong with everything that this team does. <laughs> yeah, Renfro is a tough one because I, when they traded for him, I did not think that this was a great deal, and I figured he was down for due for a down year after what was like an up year in Boston, and he actually built on it. And counting on a guy to build on two straight seasons of, you know, setting new highs two years in a row and going for that third when they're 30 seems probably like a bridge too far. But I I also just don't know how you get away from him. And I, I also think that, like, it's very important for them to have him around as sort of a, a, a bridge to some of these outfielders that they have. Particularly, I think Joey Weimer has a very good chance to be the right fielder of the future. And but I don't think he's ready yet. I don't want Joey Weimer to have to come up and be like an everyday player from the jump this year. And I think that if you if you don't have Renfro, there's going to be more pressure on him to do that. And I think that can potentially lead to bad places. So I would rather have another buffer year and hell, maybe even trade him at the deadline. Though that the way this goes, trading away your one of your best hitters at the deadline seems like that might anger people again. So maybe just scratch that. I don't know. Only if they're in first place. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes, and, and we'll talk about any of this, the decisions that they make in the coming weeks. Uh, in the meantime, quite a few Patreon questions to get to this week, and we only have Kurt for about a half more hour. So uh, let's kind of roll through these while we still can. Uh, first or next one, I should say, comes from Dylan Tyson asking about the Rule Five Draft. It's back with the upcoming Rule Five Draft. Who will the Brewers protect? Kurt, I know recently you said the main players eligible include Nick Bennett, Cam Devaney, Lucas Ersig, Bryce Terang, Cam Robinson, Abner Uribe, F- Felix Valerio. Um, also a few other guys to know: Clayton Andrews, Caleb Bushi. Bushley, uh, Nick Kelly, Justin Jarvis, Tristan Lutz, Victor Castaneda, Joe Gray Jr., Ernesto Martinez, Eduardo Garcia, Javon Ward, and Carlos D. Rodriguez. So lots of names there. Who, I guess, reasonably could we uh, assume will be protected, maybe outside of the obvious of Bryce Terang? Uh, I, I wrote it, and I said I think they're going to go with uh, the two big relievers, Robinson and Rebe, and then Terang's the obvious one. Uh, they could... They could leave those relievers off, but it's a dangerous game to play. I think they're both ready to contribute now. And we'll probably, if things go according to plan, we'll both be up this year, so they'll be on the 40 minute anyway. But mm-hmm. again, what do I know? Uh, Uribe, in particular, has been the talk of the Arizona Fall League. Uh, I've heard him brought up by the guys at BA. Eric Longenhagen has brought him up. Uh, Basically, Longenhagen essentially said he is at the point now where he could be getting big league hitters out at a very good clip uh, because he has improved his command to that point. Like he's always had the stuff thrown 102 like that's always been his thing. But the command has improved enough that he should be able to get big league hitters out. I think we see Uribe very early this year. And I yeah, yeah. the sliders look sharp, too, from what I've seen. And and also, I don't know. Did you guys listen to the whole Mark A? owner town hall meeting thing i did did did, so you heard him bring up the prospect whose name he didn't know but throws 103 so So it's it's on ownership's radar is what you're saying uh, so he he doesn't he didn't know his name but he yeah (laughs) they're gonna not want to lose him 
Yeah, I think that he comes back. Um, I yeah, I agree with you on Cam Robinson. I know that uh, that James Anderson and some of James Anderson's contacts, uh, my minor league extra co-host who writes for RotoWire, uh, he said that Cam Robinson is well thought of amongst the uh, the pitching Statcast nerds. Like he's a guy that people have their eyes on. Valerio is the one that I most because I believe you said no on Valerio, right, Kurt? I said no on Valerio. Yeah, just because he's had he came off a rough year. Yeah, he did have the rough year and. Yeah, I just that one that one's the one I'm I'm the most wondering if they if they do that and uh just to hold on to him because I think that he is going to be a big leaguer and it, it's not necessarily going to be too far in the future. So that one will come down to like what kind of flexibility they have on the roster. I suppose a lot of it'll probably come down to how many of these guys they tender contracts to, honestly. Yeah. I think it's just harder to hide a guy like him all year long cuz he's not big league ready right now. And so you're wasting one of your spots on offense. Yeah, you're, it, it is sure. difficult to, yeah, to, and they love running people through that 40 man. They really do. Mm-hmm. They use that 40 man as much as like any team in the league. So yeah, it, it's, it's tough, but he would be the one. I think, I think Terang is a, a, a Terang and Uribe are utter locks 110%. I would be shocked. I'd be surprised if Cam Robinson didn't get it. Um, and I think Valerio is the other one that very possibly could. Yeah. So yeah. I, I had a scout tell me this year that Cam Robinson would like have been big league, could have pitched in the big league. So, well, yeah, high praise. He he does get high praise from people. So, yeah. And there might be why they let Brad Boxberger go if they've got a couple of guys like that totally ready to to step in. All right. Next question comes from Derek Core, who asks, "Hot stove is upon us, and what would?" Uh, be your guys' thoughts on a deal of one of the top pitchers that somehow includes Yelich. <laughs> Obviously, it would lessen the return back and require the Brewers to add money to any deal, too, but could give some roster flexibility. All right, so uh, who are we trading Corbin Burns and Christian Yelich to, Kurt? Uh, the Yankees, I guess. <laughs> well, the Blue Jays fans seem to think that they can get him with just giving up uh, – Yelich and Burns and then not having to give up anything because they'd just be taking uh, Christian Yelich's contract off our hands. So here's the thing. Oh, here's, sure. the, here, uh, here's the thing that bugs me about all the Christian Yelich discourse. Christian Yelich is still like in a, a, I don't say good player, but like he was like the second most valuable, third most valuable player on the offense this year. He in no way is living up to the contract and the back end is not going to look pretty, but like mm-hmm. you want maximizing this window, Christian Yelich playing every day with a chance to maybe find something in there, though I wouldn't hold my breath. Like, I don't know. I don't I don't think you turn it into a salary dump. Uh, you're going to get nothing. Like, if you're going to trade Corbin Burns, you trade Corbin Burns to get as much as you can back, not because you made a bad decision with Christian Elts three years ago. Yeah, 110%. Yes, that is exactly what I would say about that. You do not package this up to, to try to clear that salary if you do that and take less like a lot less the way that the Red Sox did this with Mookie Betts so they could clear was a David Price's salary and all that yep. um, the backlash would be deafening in Milwaukee at least by our standards and I just like <laughs> they they can't do that it's also just bad roster management because the Yelich contract isn't isn't that big an albatross and there's still a chance that it can like become less albatrossy uh if he can find some sort of power stroke again somehow uh, not that you'd count on it at this point but there's at least a chance that can come back so 
to a degree. So yeah, it, you just you don't do that. And I was, I saw a bunch of these, and I was having fun with them with the trade simulator. Like, <laughs> well, here Why you not? go. Yeah. So if you're going to trade Corbin Burns, you're you're trading him for at least one already major league good player. That has mm-hmm. to be part of any deal. It, you know, like we we're talking Alejandro Kirk. Like if you're going to trade him with the Blue Jays, okay, Alejandro Kirk plus some prospect stuff. Okay, that that starts the conversation. That gets it going. But yeah, you're not doing it for a salary dump, for God's sake. Would anyone be shocked if Yelich went out and had like a 120 WRC plus this year? He was a 111 this year. Like he yeah, wasn't like, even that far from yeah. cannot, Just a little cannot, more power. Yeah, you cannot go out and trade that guy, given how you, like how your team is. You need that bat. Yeah, and I mean beyond that, it's just like I think the steamer projections, and they're still figuring in probably more than they should those MVP years in yeah, 2018, exactly. 19. But like the steamer projection, I think has them at like close to 120. So they're they're not projecting him for you know being a big time anchor bat anymore, but they're still projecting him for better than what he has been just because of that that ha- pass that he does have. Yeah, and I think it's worth. Uh, mentioning to Christian Yelich's contract is not going to be the reason why the Brewers can't afford Corbin Burns. That was going to happen anyway. <laughs> so uh, worth mentioning too. All right. Devin Barrowolf has our next question asking, who do you think the Brewers are most likely to trade this year between Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff and Willie Adamas. Also outside of those three, if the Brewers had to trade one, who would you want it to be? So, um, you know, Kurt, we're getting into, I guess, hater zone where, you know, similar timelines. A lot of people started talking about Josh Hader being traded and um, we're approaching that with this upcoming trade deadline season too. all those guys kind of in the same uh, area of service. So do you see any of those three or um, anybody else, I guess? So my inclination is that they're not going to trade any of them this offseason, most likely uh, would be Burns, I think, for maximum value. You, I, I don't think you can trade Willie Domus. Like you can, Willie Domus is the guy that I think out of all of them, like most that you can let walk and live with it. I don't know why I think that, but I, I do. Um, but you can't, you can't trade a four to five win shortstop. Um, I think your offense is just, and your defense is just depleted at that point. And then Woodruff. I I think he's going to have a really, really good year. Um, and I think they think that too. And they're not going to get as much for him as Burns. So if you're going to trade one of the two, might as well trade Burns, I guess. Yeah, I've been on team extend Woodruff and Adamas and trade Burns. And I'll just stick with that. Like, if you're going to if you're going to trade one of them, extend the other two and then, you know, take the best return that you can get out of the other one. And uh, I think that that's most likely Burns just because he's going to command a contract that I think is so much larger than either of the other two. Yeah, you're talking two, three hundred million. Like, look at what Jake DeGrom gets this offseason and <laughs> maybe a start there. All right. A uh, couple of qu- catching questions coming up now. Darren Jones asking, what are the top options for addressing the catching position this offseason? Um Kurt is Omar Narvaez the best one outside of Wilson Contreras? So the answer, I'm glad you brought that up because that is that is part of the answer. I think Omar Narvaez is with a third, probably number catcher number three on the market. 
um, with Christian Vasquez as two, but if you think Omar Narvaez might have some offense to untap in there, I don't, but if you do, uh, then he is number two. So the answer is trade. Yeah, and was it you or JR that said Sean Murphy? Because I agree with uh, you. JR, JR said Sean Murphy. I'm all in on going to get – like. I I think if that's the guy that you meet the you meet the ask for if there is one, whether the A's trade him and like whether the ask gets too much, that's a different story because I, I that would be a I mean like top of the market defense great bat so I think the the name to keep an eye on is Danny Jansen, mm, yes, Wisconsin native as Jr. Yeah. pointed out yeah that's right best friends with Rowdy Telez there you go. <laughs> I'm rooting for Sean Murphy just so Paul confuses him with Sean Murphy bunting the cornerback. And the funny part there is Sean Murphy never bunts. So, um, cause he's an A. So that's the joke. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'd root for either one of those. I think that's, that's a good, good idea too. Um, definitely some options to explore. Uh, I guess speaking of catchers, Mark Podscarby asking, what do we expect from Mario Feliciano this season? It seems with the trade to reacquire Peyton Henry that Henry might be the AAA depth guy. So does that leave Feliciano with a legit major league role this year? Are we looking at a Caratini Feliciano platoon at catcher? Um, You know, Feliciano got a cup of coffee this year, but uh, I guess, Kurt, let's start with your impressions. I think the thing that you should not do is take the, the, catching platoon you had last year and make it worse uh so i think that's what it would do if you because i don't think feliciano is not the not the receiver that narvaez is but i mean i have heard good reports about what they think about how his bats come along as well as his defense as well i think there's a role there for feliciano at some point uh but as maybe being catching depth is the way to go this year is like catcher is the position on this team that they can upgrade the most relative to like what they got last year they got absolutely squat, nada, zero zip zilch for like four and a half months offensively from that spot. So that's the place where you make the team better, in my opinion. And Caratini Feliciano is not, it's not the answer. Yeah. So I will just say what I've been saying about Feliciano, which is I, he seems very much like one of those catchers that puts it all together when they're like 27 or 28 and has like a good four or five, six, seven year run as a, as a solid big league starting catcher. And he's 23 right now. So <laughs> if that gives you an idea of where I am on this timeline, uh, I still ways think, away. Yeah. I think yeah. there's still some time here before he, he does that. So I, I would not expect them. I think you don't make the move for Peyton Henry. If you think that, uh, Feliciano is ready to be your number two catcher. I, I don't think you do that. So I think the Peyton Henry thing probably does signal more that they are headed that direction and that he is very likely to be the backup, which means as Kurt was kind of alluding to here, do you, I don't know how you, you like, you would be making the, the situation from last year worse if you're bringing back Caratini. So that would tend to suggest they maybe aren't going to tender Caratini, but it, that's that's a tough call to make. I, I don't know. They would have to feel really good about being able to get something else done if they're just going to let him walk. Yeah, I will preface this by saying it won't happen, but Wilson Contreras uh, would solve the offensive woes, probably not the defensive <laughs> ones, and it would make Cubs fans very angry. So, Kurt, how, how about that? 
Yes, uh, that I'm sure uh, the clubhouse loves Wilson Contreras. Yeah, it'd be a all, great addition. They're all for... big fans. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> yeah. they would. They actually would if he came over their side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All's forgiven when you sign on with the team. Um. Yeah, James Anderson was a big fan of that idea in a, a chat we were having this yeah. week in our our uh, tailgate 3.0 group chat. So he was pro the idea of bringing in Wilson Contreras. So legitimately, it would be a fine fit, actually a really good fit uh, for next year and then maybe the year after. But if they're not going to give Yasmani the was it the fourth year, the fourth year, yeah, yeah, and then Wilson's going to go for he's going to want to break that contract, Five. yeah. So. And he's already on the wrong side of 30 and already bad on defense. So, no, Brewers are wizards when it comes to coaching up defense. They can fix it. Yes. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our next Patreon question comes from Dylan Tyson uh, asking Kurt about someone you brought up at the top of the show. So, Dylan says for Josh Bell, Fangraphs projected between two years and 18 million and three years and 43 million. MLB Trade Rumors projects four years, 64 million. Uh, first, Thoughts on why there is such a difference and what do you think the Brewers would be willing to pay for Josh Bell? I think the difference kind of goes to like, is very Josh Bell. Like there's just so much <laughs> volatility, I think, within his yeah. own performance and like what the perception of him is. I mean, this dude was traded for Will Crow, who I, I actually might be a decent end game on. Decent. But like, that's what he was traded for uh, to the Nationals a few years back. Uh, and now all of a sudden he was like the hottest bat rental bet on the market this year and then he was bad again for two months so it's like his it has a good year bad year good year it's just it's up and it's down and so um i think four year 64 seems like a lot like if anyone pays for that if i see like i don't know someone desperate like the tigers or someone would pay that it, sure that would be met with serious eyebrow raisings you know for a guy at first base who doesn't play a good first base doesn't even play like an average first base um, to the second part of the question, though, what do you think the Brewers would be willing to pay? Two years, eighteen. Like, if that's what Josh Bell is going for, <laughs> absolutely. And the Brewers do not pay him. Something's wrong. So I think that's that. I think that just seems so. That seems low, right? Yes. Yeah. Extremely. If he's getting that low of an end, like, there's no way it's nine years, nine nine million per year. Like, the Brewers could throw one year, fourteen mil at him or something if it's that low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so actually, this is Ben Clemens on uh, Fangraphs, and he spoke about this specifically because he just didn't know what to do with Josh Bell because he sees, like, you know, he's a really bad defender at first base. So you're giving away a lot of value there, and the bat has been inconsistent. Like, at its top end, you have years where he's, yeah, 2019 was 35% better than the league average in terms of WRC+, but then in 2020, it was you know, 24% worse. And the last two years has been set, you know, steady at 119 and 123. So about 20%, maybe a little bit better than league average, but it is, it's a weird profile. He's also guys, he's a, he's a low launch angle guy, a low launch angle power hitter. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. He's, he's in Yelich territory, right? Like yeah. It's not, not quite Yelich territory, but like, yeah, there's that, but he's also, it's so weird. If I asked you, how much does Josh Bell strike out? Um, you would probably tell me that it was well over the league average, right? Yeah. Um, and last year it was 15.8% and the league average was about 23%. Hmm. And uh, That's really weird for a power guy. And in 2021, it was 17.8%. And in 
And he did have one. The 2020 year just looks like a, a total write off, which it's a total write off for all of us. So we can just like ignore it. But he had a weirdly like high 26.5%. But every other year he's been under 20. So he doesn't strike out as much as you would think like that dude, that body, that swing, like that that guy would would strike out a lot more, which actually same thing for Rowdy. Rowdy strikes out a lot less than you'd think, too. So I don't know. It it is very intriguing. We've been Paul and I have been Kurt on like team sign Josh Bell for, I don't know, like three, four months now. And so we've been we've been pushing this one hard. And yeah, when I saw the number from Clemens, I'm like, yes, if they if he goes for that and it's not the Brewers, I will be very angry because <laughs> that just no seems kidding. like a no brainer. Yeah. All right. Next one comes from Corey Diedrich asking, so does Stearns end up at one Houston <laughs> two, the Yankees, three, the Mets or four bartender at Sobelman's? Uh, so, of course, the weird Houston situation unraveled they're not bringing back their gm less than a week after they won the world series uh kurt i guess what's your impression is he serious about not taking a job this year uh i think the arrangement i should ask yes is Adonacio serious that he's not going to take a job this year (laughs) i do get some like you you hear david stern speak enough and it's like everything is not necessarily but it's just like there's like a it's being calculated in his head as he says it so it's so at his press conference there was like seemed like some genuineness of like wanting to take a, a breather um i it's this kind of goes to show like the crapshoot of it all like a, a lot of people are tying into the astros and the adam mccallion and said like the name i was the team i was hearing was the astros when this first happened and like this weekend I I'm just like I'm just I'm giving away all my stuff here. I gotta I gotta save save some of this for our pod. But uh, <laughs> I, I was hearing that, I was hearing that like when he was there, it was kind of the Astros running their regime, and then Stern like as a voice of reason. If you kind of follow like the interesting the Astros oh. way here, um, just I don't know. It's just some something that was floated my way, and then like they also the side of I don't think anyone want to, who wants to work for Jim Crane right now. No, that's a bad like the situation. The are really good, and that should be a great job, but that looks like not a good job. It doesn't look like a good job. Yeah, especially because they're probably getting towards the end of this run with so many guys yeah. kind of and, yep. aging out of their primes. And the expectations are going to be so high. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're going to be that way You know, with the Yankees, the Mets, probably at Solomon's too. <laughs> I, I have high hopes when I'm, when I'm going there, so... Uh, no, I, I, I don't, I don't foresee anything happening in the short term. Um, I mean, the Astros could happen, but like based on some of the stuff I've heard, like no, but we'll see. I am surprised, and I think that if it was going to happen, it would have already happened. But I'm going to stick with my original. The day this happened, I said everybody's talking about the Mets, but pay attention to the Yankees because I don't think they're bringing Cashman back. And then we found out that Cashman is not going back to the Yankees. He's- his contract is not working on a contract. <laughs> yeah, he's working. He's working off of contract at this point, so he doesn't. Yeah, which that's a weird situation to be in. You but get I, him a good lawyer. Like a good <laughs> lawyer. Yeah. You well, do. 
it's a it's a strange situation. So uh, I'm assuming he's just getting paid like his prorated amount from his yeah. last contract. I think usually yeah. things like this they have that written in. Like if we don't yeah. renew no your raises, contract, no bonuses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I I'm just gonna stick with the Yankees because I said it, and I still think it makes a lot of sense. The fit between David Stearns and Hal Steinbrenner is like perfect, like beyond perfect. Those guys are made for each other. So I, I could see it, and he would get to go back to New York, but. Who knows? I guess his wife's from Houston, so maybe she wants to go back to Houston. We'll see. All right. I guess speaking of Houston, Adam Post asking, would the Brewers win the World Series if they spent as much as the Astros, or are there some things about the Astros that David Stearns was not able to copy during his time with the Brewers? Yes, there was one big thing. Uh, involves trash cans. Uh, <laughs> Obviously. Yes. He wasn't able to replicate uh, the cheating lab. Um, the thing with the Astros is like, I don't think they actually, I was surprised when I saw how much they spent. I thought it would like be like 250 territory, mm. but it was, well, I think it was under 200, at least on opening yeah. day this year. Um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> they, yeah. They, they've they let Springer walk. They've let, they still would have lost to the Astros. Yeah. There's no one beating that team this year. Yeah. They, they opened were, 2022 at 174 as their opening day payroll. So well under the luxury tax. It would put the Brewers in a much better position, but like, I mean, who do you spend it on? And B, the Dodgers, we know how baseball works. The Dodgers just spent $300 million and got ousted by... Yeah. The, yeah. Well, the Padres just spent a lot of money as well. But yeah. Whatever. yeah, so I was thinking about this quite a bit, actually. This was the question that most like grabbed my attention. And really, so the thing that he didn't have here was and we'll get into this more in just a minute um the houston thing largely re uh, revolved around getting these really high draft picks and hitting on them at a pretty good rate carlos correa was a number one overall pick alex bregman was a number two overall pick yes the the um the pick for uh what's his name the, the pitcher from uh stanford who's actually trying to make a mark appell yeah. Yeah. yeah that didn't work out but like they did a really good job like kyle tucker was a fifth overall pick the year that they took bregman number two springer was a first rounder wasn't he but i think that was pre now or maybe it was okay. right when he came in and like sure and altuve predated them too but yeah the thing is stearns didn't have that stearns was never picking like he picked in the top five once foreshadowing of our next question here but um he picked yeah he only in the one time in the top five and so he never had that base of talent to work with where you have like truly elite like top five type prospects until the very end here when he's hiding out the door having left them with jackson churio maybe the brewer's best prospect since i don't know robin yount so it's a it's a oh a weird situation that way but I, I think that obviously it would have helped them to win if they were spending like to the level of what the Astros were. But you know the Astros are in what the fifth largest market in the country. Yeah, they're not small market, despite right. everybody's mentality about them. They, right, they absolutely are not. All right, I guess on that note, Mark Podscarby asking another question: What was your favorite moment of the Corey Ray era? The aforementioned fifth overall pick who elected minor league free agency never quite panned out uh keith law would argue the brewers broke him kurt what was your favorite moment of the Corey Ray era? was it interviewing him yeah. yeah so i spent a day with Corey ray after he got drafted and wow. yeah. like 
the the thing about it all is like just as a from a like a human level it's it's it was sad to like just see him never never pan out at all um he was such a good kid and from it all counts he's just a really good guy and had all the tools so yeah yeah i i think that for me and sorry if this comes off as mean but it's like the day he was drafted because it was i was legitimately excited like overwhelmingly happy about it because he was number one on keith law's board and so the fact that the Brewers got him at pick number five, Mm -hmm. I was over the moon about it and was just really, really happy. I thought the Brewers had drafted a, their legitimate star that they were going to be building around. And he would now be, you know, like an MVP contender for them right now. And it just, it never worked out. And it's yeah. Keith law has talked about the fact that like his swing kept changing, but I think that's, it's a little unfair to put all that. Like, I think he's actually more upset about the Keston hero swing change because that did seem to happen in the pros. Corey yeah. Ray was was tweaking his swing all the time, even in college. Like he never had the same swing like two months in a row. Like he was it was always changing. And that could sometimes be a good thing. Some guys, especially like extremely gifted athletes, that's like an advantage for them to, you know, it makes them very hard to like work against. But he just was never able to find something that sort of consistently worked. There was that one year after the the bloom had already largely come off the rose, I think in like 2018, maybe 2019, where he had a good year in double A. And you're like, yeah, but he was supposed to be like doing like having a good year in the big leagues by this point. So, yeah, that, for the level, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All that. All right. In the home stretch here, last few questions. Darren Jones asking, do the 2023 rule changes such as larger bases, limited pickoff attempts, and the shift ban all work in the favor of some of the Brewers' young hitters with speed, including Garrett Mitchell, Sal Fralick, Bryce Terang, and Asturi Ruiz? I am so excited to see Asturi Ruiz become basically the next Quentin Berry uh, with these new bases, Kurt. I guess, how do you see the new rule changes maybe favoring some of these guys? Yeah, I mean, it favors just like the entire Brewers' young player development system right now. I do, I do want to advise, like, I don't want to, like, don't caution, caution, be cautious against overstating the effects. I mean, baseball just adapts; it's what it does. Pitchers will adapt, um, but I do think it's going to help. Now, the value of the stolen base as a whole, like. Like the way the game is played, it's still going to be built around high velo and elevating the ball. There'll be more ball in play, or at least more like singles and, and, and things like that will impact the game. But like the game will still be won in the way that it was won this last year and the year before, where the stolen base has diminished in value. Now it'll go up in value for sure. But is it like it's still not the most important thing in the game and lower on, on the list? But, um, now that I've now that I've rained on the parade, the Brewers are in great shape for this. <laughs> yeah. So Eno Saris mentioned on a recent podcast, and this was in a fantasy context, but saying that coaching coaches he had talked to had said that they are moving, and they don't know how much, but they are moving the go no go on on uh, on stolen base. So largely, what this is based on is how quickly is the pitcher getting to the the plate like how quickly from the point where they commit to going home are they able to get the ball into the catcher's mitt and that go no go time on this is apparently going to drop substantially because of the the way the rules have changed 
So that would be a good thing to ask in spring training is like, what, what have you guys changed as far as your, your go, no go decisions on stolen bases? Because it looks like it's going to be Kurt's taking notes right now. I'm just... on my notes app. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <glory> ideas. <laughs> go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's, that is a thing I think is going to matter. But again, I don't know how big a deal that's actually going to be because like Kurt said, the primary thing is the way games are won and lost now on offense is getting on base, which means a combination of average and walking and hitting home runs. Like that's, that's the game. And the stolen base thing is going to change that somewhat, but I don't think dramatically more around the edges than it is like going to change the core of what the game is. I think the speed will help with, with the lack of shifts too, or less, more restrictions on shifts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like uh, Garrett Mitchell, that'll play in his favor. For sure. All right. To wrap things up, PJ Wessels has two questions, I guess one for each of you. So first question from PJ goes uh, to Kurt. What was the one thing that surprised you, Kurt, about being on the Brewers beats? Many things surprised me, uh, including uh what you do when you are supposed to be in san diego and that's like a six hour travel and then you get into line at tsa and you pull out your phone and you didn't get a notification about this but your flight was canceled and milwaukee (laughs) is not easy to get to that airport from uh and so you have to you have to you quickly learn that you are very adept at uh adrenaline finding new flights so that that's right i didn't know i could do that uh but I'm specific to the beat, and I guess this is, I don't know if people are actually interested in this. It's like a journalism reporting t- tangential thing. Um, well, I'm interested, so keep going. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Brethren is like, at first, I just kind of figured like all year long, I would have to be like writing down all my questions and like thinking things all the way through at, from the beginning and like having things planned out. Um, cause I didn't want to be the one to ask a stupid question the first time I talked to a guy then right. by like May or so it was just like, it, it was just much easier to just go up to, you know, like I see a guy, I'm like, oh, I think I might have something to ask him, but I haven't thought this through at all. And then you're just like spinning the wheels in your head as you're talking to a guy. Um, so that, that's, that, I think that surprised me. I was not expecting to like get to that point this year or whether it's comfortability or whatnot, but like it led to some stupid questions. Don't, 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 get, don't get me wrong. <laughs> like in a couple of times where I just stood there blankly, like, oh, what was I going to ask next? Uh, sorry. So uh, both good and bad, but th- that was surprising. Uh, but a little, the, the other thing was, no, I don't know if this is a surprise. Maybe I'm just going to say it. People, man, they were mad. This the people were so mad this year. Oh yeah. From the beginning. Like, it wasn't I, just I, the yeah. hater trade. It I was from the start. Get, yeah. Oh, that is true. That is true. But like the trade deadline. Oh my God. It was so, it was, there was so much anger and I get like, there was, I get that people were mad and it shouldn't surprise me. And maybe it didn't, but woof, y'all got to chill a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, though I was going to ask you specifically, cause I've heard this. Um, one of the things that people, once they get in, I don't know if this is more on the team side or on the, basically people who are in the the clubhouse daily as a reporter, like you are um, people are surprised how much players are just hurt all the time. 
and that there's always something physically wrong with guys all the time. And you just learn that like that's a a, a state of being, like, especially pitchers. Like there's always something wrong with pitchers, mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily end up in in the paper or anything. It's just like they're constantly in a state of being well below par in terms of health. Yeah, that that was. I mean, there was some discussions that we had with like pitchers throughout the year, just like in you know, just chatting about like what, how is, what is this time of year like for you guys, and and also like the the fine line between like these guys want to go out there and win for their team and perform and get paid for performing, but also like how do you toe that line between that and like speaking up when something really is nagging you and you don't want to be like, you don't want to get a perception of a, you're an injured guy or B like you're not playing through things. So it's, that is like an unspoken challenge. And that's good. That good thing. That good, a uh, good thing for you to bring up is like guys are just hurt. And <laughs> even we don't know it sometimes, especially like some of the pitchers. Cause a lot of their care is like, and you just see a pitcher with, you know, ice, an iced up arm and it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So it's tough to know. All right. Uh, PJ's second question, Ryan, the world cup pod drops when I'm assuming this is you, but Kurt, if you're a world cup fan, chime in. <laughs> so I will say this. I, I have a couple of endorsements for, uh, for podcasts on the world cup, uh, important podcast reporterly podcasts that are being done on this. Um, there's a really good one with Roger Bennett from men and blazers and Tommy Veter from the, uh, uh, all the Pod Save America, Pod Save the World, all that stuff, where they talk, it's called World Corrupt, and they're talking about how from the beginning this thing was a, an abomination and that it, it maintained its abomination status in every way you can imagine all the way through. Um, so it, there's a lot of important stuff in there. And also Kate Mason on the Football Ramble podcast actually lived in Qatar for a few years and has gone back and has been able to get access because she was a journalist living there before any of this sort of happened. And so she's been able to get some really insightful interviews with some of the migrant workers who are horribly abused and put in dangerous situations. And so if you want to get into the nitty gritty dark side of this world cup, which is really, really all for those that don't know, um, thousands of migrant workers died to bring this world cup to life. It's a really dark, bad situation. And, um, so it's if you're interested in learning more about that stuff, I would highly recommend both of those podcasts to learn more about it. And I, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've said from the beginning, I'm still not exactly sure how I'm going to be able to stomach watching it because sure. I, it really does kind of turn my stomach in a lot of ways. So we will see. We shall. All right. That'll do it for questions. Kurt, thank you so much for spending an hour of your time with us and, and chatting uh super insightful stuff uh we should have real journalists on this thing more often ryan <laughs> yes as opposed to uh paul and me and our bullshit yes yeah yeah no uh no this well, is great that's too bad that you're that you're excluding jr from ever being on the pot he's been on this pot <laughs> i think more than you have though yeah uh yeah, not in a while. It's been it has been a, a minute since JR's been on this pod too. It's been a it's while been for a you too. Years. The last time we did this, Kurt, we were in Paul's basement, right? The actually the basement at his <laughs> yeah, folks' place so. in Milwaukee. I, I think it was uh, it was the Tyler Austin game from 2019. Oh man, if anyone can pull out that yeah, games that, that live bad. in infamy. It yeah, was the Tyler great. Austin game. You're right. It was right after that ended. Yep. Oh man, that was great. Um, 
but yeah, thanks again for spending your time. I'm going to end this the way Paul ends reporting as eligible. What are you working on? Anything to plug that we should look for coming up in the next week or so? This question always gets asked, and I like, I am so dumb for never having anything prepared. Uh, I'm working on some stuff. I'm like one thing. <laughs> how much do I want to tip? I'm working on something that looks at the Brewers' offense and are the Brewers' development system and like why they haven't developed hitters as well as Ooh. you think they should. So that's uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll toss that one out there. Ooh, that sounds really interesting. Right up Ryan's alley too. I'm sure. Yeah, and now is uh, the time to get that out because I think the worm. I, 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 cautiously optimistic the worm is has turned the way that remember in 2017 18 we still thought the brewers can't develop pitching even though mm -hmm. like at that moment they were developing a ton of pitching and we just kind of yeah. didn't realize it yet uh i yeah. think i hope fingers crossed the brewers that same thing is happening with the hitting right now but we we won't know until we actually see it at the major league level yeah i think i think it is turning and not all not, it does not all fall on like the current regime mm -hmm. like a lot of the current roster is, you know, guys that are pushed back um, mm -hmm. in the in the timeline a little bit. But uh, like as an organization, they just haven't done it well. So why the heck is that a thing? So, yep, definitely, definitely interesting, and we'll be on the lookout for that. Also, a reminder to pay for good local journalism, like the Journal Sentinel. So support local journalism, everybody. It's worth the paywall. Trust me, a few bucks a month. Um, and I guess speaking of support. New patrons to shout out this week, Ryan. Who do we have? Oh, yeah, that's right. We did have a new patron this week, and that is um, Devian Sheehan is the new patron who has joined the fold here. So thank you very much to uh, Devian. There we go. Uh, thank you mu much. And uh, before we go this week, as always, we'd like to ask you to leave a review and rating for this podcast on Apple Podcasts. That includes you, Kurt. Go ahead and leave us a review. Uh, <laughs> Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars the next time he's back here. While you're there, please do hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you get your podcasts. And hey, why don't you, while you're there, also subscribe to the Microbrews podcast with Kurt and JR. Uh, excellent show there as well. So uh, thanks again, Kurt, for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back here next time on Milwaukee Television.